Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Stumps, your dedicated weekly cricket show. My name is Damian Watson, filling in for Jordan Canellis this week. And as always, I'm joined by former Victorian and Australian spinner Bryce McGain. How are you, Bryce? I'm going great. We just had a bit of Jordan uh, coming there <laughs> over the background, but uh, we've, we've put him back on hold and uh, we, we can carry on with today's show. Yes, indeed. Uh, does it feel weird not having the big bash on, given that it was mentioned just then in any capacity this week and the fact that it's gone on for such a significant period of time? Well, it seems like it has gone on for a while. It is shorter than the year before, though. Uh, look, it, it does go on for some time. And you know what? Uh, TV uh, broadcasters want it to go for longer. Mm. So that's... Uh, that, that, that's certainly the case because it is such good um, content for the TV and it is in prime time and at this time of year and particularly they want it to go on for longer in February. But I think for the cricket and the right fit, I, I really would like the Big Bash to wrap up on that Australia Day weekend. They could play mm. semis and finals and, and have it all happening over the one weekend, even if play, teams and, and the players need to travel and back up days or or even have a semi-final day at the one venue and then maybe a, a travel day and then on the Monday have the final. Yeah. I think that could work really well. Um, they've got a, a final five now, so it's a, a balancing act to how they do it. They've probably drawn that out a bit and... Maybe there's a bit of, uh, well, as I mentioned, the TVs are maybe holding the whip handle on that one there. But uh, nonetheless, um, look, I think it was a terrific series and we've got a good insight to, well, some players that are heading off to South Africa. There's tons of cricket going on at the moment and uh, with the South African Tour, Australia have arrived there today. Um, The Big Bash just finishing up, AB Medal, of course. Uh, the the Women's World Cup, we're right on the cusp of that. That that kicks off Friday coming up. Um, and this life Sheffield Shield all around in, yes. in Adelaide, Brisbane, and in Sydney as well. So there's tons of cricket still going on. If you thought the summer was winding down, it, it certainly hasn't. That's right. And, of course, Australia is set to play a three-match one-day series against New, Ze- New Zealand in March. So it doesn't end for a while. There's no doubt about that, the international cricketing summer. Speaking of which, did you get an invite to the Cricket Australia Awards on Monday night? It was certainly a great occasion. How are those awards nights based on your experience? Is it a great atmosphere? Is it anything Logies like, for instance? It is a little bit. Um, it, interestingly, they, they do the red carpet. So we and we got to stay in a lovely hotel where they had it at Crown, and we're staying in the around the corner at the Langham. So we just get in a car yeah. and they drive us around the corner, and then we pull up and walk up the red carpet. And yeah, not being such a a, a big profile player, I just sort of waltzed my way up the the carpet with my lovely partner Georgie, and uh, the the focus was definitely on the the big players, I suppose, of the night. And uh, nothing has has changed there at all, I, I suppose, in that regard. But look, a really enjoyable night, um, nonetheless, and a, a good celebration. It's a you know, it's an honour to be asked to go along, and a bit humbling as well to be uh, in the in the audience and up the front tables. Uh, I, I did go as a, a 
um, uh, just a well before I made my, my test debut and went as a, a domestic player and uh, there was a Cricket Victoria table and uh, made the team of the year. Yep. Um, with the Sheffield Shield, so that was a, a couple of years before that, and uh, that was more up the back behind the cameras. But all the uh, generally, it's all the um, the big names of Australian cricket that are in those front tables. But uh, look, it's some uh, well, I, I'm going to say controversial, but uh, yeah. probably not when you look at the statistics of uh, who ended up winning the Allen Border Medal. But there's some uh, some good uh, acknowledgement of um, performances over the last 12 months, and Dave Warner. I guess we look at the Ashes series and how he really battled his way through there. But having said that, he, he other than that, he had a terrific year in coming mm. back into the Australian team. He had a great World Cup. He was outstanding there, 300s in the World Cup. Like, that is a serious performance. And his Australian summer has been really second to none, obviously showcased with a, a 300, a triple mm. century. But his T20 form was fantastic as well at yep. the beginning of the summer. So... I remember going through the votes here with Stumps and, and Jordan Canellis and I going through at the beginning of the year. It was just Dave Warner getting three votes just about every game that Australia played. So he did start the Australian summer really well. And I guess overall, he was the deserving uh, uh, recipient of the, the Allen Border Medal. That's what a lot of people forget when they do criticise. And I can understand the criticism somewhat, but... It encompasses all forms of the game. It's not just test cricket. That's right. And look, there probably is a bit of a hangover from having the 12-month yeah. ban and what's happened previously. Um, hopefully, we're, we're moving forward from then and, and letting, uh, I, I guess, everything settle. Well, I suppose many people won't forget, but uh, <laughs> it's time to move on and move forward. And uh, Dave Warner has certainly been able to do that. And he's probably shown a, a great deal of strength of character. I think he spoke incredibly well on the evening. Um, there's a lot of pressure in, in getting up there and talking in front of everyone. It's easy mm. to slip up and forget the the things you, you really genuinely want to say, but I thought he handled that incredibly well and uh, and did exceptionally well. Now, we have a guest later on uh, that also won an, a, an award on the evening. Yes, indeed. So first today we'll have Richard Earle from the Adelaide Advertiser to update us on the South Australia VWA Sheffield Shield match, one of three matches today, and that will obviously continue on through the weekend. But Molly Strato was the winner of the Women's Domestic Cricket Player of the Year Award, and she provided a very humorous, and we'll replay it later on, very humorous speech uh, as she accepted her award, yeah. Well, she's uh, well, she she's definitely Miss Personality, and she's a great player around the team, and uh, obviously a, a mainstay in in the WBBL. Uh, she's a leading wicket taker all time in that competition, yes. and uh, was a, once again the leading wicket taker this year. So uh, she certainly knows how to take some wickets, and we we might even uh, push her and press her a bit on maybe higher honours as well. She's right in around the Australian. She has played for Australia. She's right in around that. She's not in the World Cup squad, um, but she's she's got to be super close there. She is a standby player for that, and maybe she's just, just missing out on an opportunity to represent Australia as the leading wicket-taker domestically. Uh, you're a spinner, Bryce. She defines herself as someone who bowls straight breaks rather than traditional spin or various methods of spin. What would you class her as as a bowler? She's still very effective in her style. Absolutely. she's. Uh, what she does understand is that uh, bowlers who hit a good length uh, are a real challenge. And even if we, we think about some of the, the, the male um, bowlers over the journey, Dan Vittori uh, didn't spin the ball a great deal either, but was highly effective and particularly in short form games where they have to score. And his great skill was being able to change his pace and arrive the ball at different paces on a great length. And he could do that really well. And Molly does exactly the same. She tosses them up. She changes the pace. 
but she consistently puts a ball in a challenging position and, and she very, very rarely bowls a loose ball. So it's always a challenge and it's always exactly to plan. So it's always a challenge for the opposition and, well, she keeps getting them out. So it's definitely working. Pretty uh, modest in her saying that she doesn't spin the ball. She can put some revs on it and, more importantly, she gets a bit of overspin on the ball. So she does get the ball yeah. to, um, to drop and gets a bit of drift as well. Yeah, very consistent player right throughout the WBBL competition and indeed for Australia A as well. So we look forward to chatting with Molly Strano later on in the show. You mentioned before, Bryce, that the Australian players have arrived in South Africa for their mm. T20 one-day series over there. Firstly, you played test cricket over there. Give us an insight as to whether there is any contrast in the conditions between South Africa and Australia. Is there a different atmosphere as well in terms of the attention cricket receives? Well, first of all, I just hope everyone got on the plane safely, uh, which I didn't on my trip to, to uh, really? South Africa. Yeah, I, I missed the flight uh, getting from... Uh, what? From, what was that? Well, it was a delay getting to the airport here in Melbourne and they had cancelled flights and I couldn't get to the connecting oh, flight in no. Sydney. and. So I had to find my own way to South Africa. So it wasn't a great start to my first test tour. But uh, having said that, everyone's arrived safely. So we've checked up on that. That's the thing I do all the time to South Africa, (laughs) make sure the squad get there in one piece. So they're all there. Uh, Look, one of the big things, and and they start uh, in Johannesburg, and the thing that really hits you there is actually the altitude. So it's quite interesting, uh, the the lighter air or the the lack of oxygen. So you can run around and it takes a bit of climatising to to settle into the the, the situation there. Luckily, Australia have a week there and they do always allow a little bit more uh, to settle in. But above Mm. sea level, Johannesburg is about a mile above sea level and it it generally is quite hard um, to... um, to, to climatise there. One of the great things about it is on an off day when you go and play golf, you can hit the ball about 40 metres further. So it's mm. good for the golf game, not so good for, for running around and, and, and getting used to the conditions. But they'll settle down after a few days. They'll feel exhausted after the first couple of runarounds, but y- y- your body climatises pretty quickly. Um, they're, they're playing three T20s to start with. Yep. Uh, they start there at Johannesburg in the new Wanderer Stadium. They they then head off to Port Elizabeth, and that's a ripping ground. Great atmosphere. Yeah. They have a band that plays in the in the um, stadium there, and they sing funny songs about the opposition. They actually sung one of the hits that oh, went over there with the Bush Rangers, and uh, they they called it "Bob Eye Bush Ranger." We were losing the game to the local <laughs> team, and uh, they waved us goodbye as the the game was wrapping up towards oh. the end. So entertaining crowd there, and and terrific fun, and then. Of course, in Cape Cape Town uh, in Newlands, which is the most pic- picturesque game uh, ground in the world, mm. uh, right near the Table Mountain, and uh, yes. of course the Cape Town, I- incredible um, place to be. So the T20s are there, and then they they kick off uh, later on. So that's a week of the T20s, and then Saturday 29th they they get into the one day mode. So look, plenty of action there, plenty of travel, plenty of uh, cricket, and in really good conditions. And well, it can be a pretty hostile crowd. So uh, it'll be interesting how they behave to Steve Smith and Dave Warner. Yeah. Of course, this is the last time, uh, well, the first time they've been back since the incident. Um, so I, I have no doubt that they will be very, very vocal, but careful poking the bear because they both perform very well when they're when the opposition are quite vocal or the crowd particularly being vocal. So we'll see how that goes. And yeah, they've exemplified that over the last 12 months. How do you think the Australians will perform given the T20 World Cup is on the horizon? They'll probably place greater emphasis and perhaps resources into that format rather than the one day is on that basis that they are hosting a T20 World Cup. Yeah, I think I, I, th- I, I totally agree with that. And they'll be looking for some perf- performances. And the great opportunity comes now that, that 
there are some spots available, um, particularly that middle order. We we did notice in the one day as that we played against India that there was there was a lack of firepower there, really in form. Uh, so the opportunity comes to some others to go into there. Mitch Marsh is part of that squad. Uh, Glenn Maxwell was part of that squad. He's now um, withdrawn from that through injury. So he wants to go and get the injury assessed and uh, and sorted out uh, an arm injury that he has. So um, that takes him out of that position. But that then op- opens up another opportunity. So, look, they, they will try and formulate a, a really good plan and, and give opportunity to the players. And it's always super competitive playing in South Africa against the South Africans, they're going through a bit of a transition yes. phase themselves. So that they they may be vulnerable in terms of the result, the win-loss result. So it may be an opportunity for Australia. But I think more importantly, they'll be looking inwards about how they're performing and perfecting what they want to do. And uh, Aaron Finch was uh, adamant that that was what their focus was about, in getting themselves right, not necessarily just beating up on an opposition that's developing. Well, you're listening to Stumps, your dedicated weekly cricket show. Bryce McGain and Damian Watson with you. Up next, we'll chat all things Sheffield Shield. You're listening to Stumps, your weekly update for everything cricket. Welcome back. You're listening to Stumps here. Damian Watson and Bryce McGain with you. And with the big bash done and dusted for another season, attention at domestic level now turns back to the longer format of the game in the Sheffield Shield with a number of matches played across the weekend. One of them sees South Australia pitted against Western Australia. And Richard Earle, the cricket writer for the Adelaide Advertiser, joins us direct from the Adelaide Oval to provide us with an update. Thanks for your time, Richard. No problems, boys. Well, South Australia were bowled out for 389 in their first innings. Western Australia currently trailing by 241 runs, four for 148. But with Cam Green out there, who's been a revelation for WA in many respects, you can't necessarily say that they're trailing at this point. It's probably even, Stevens. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, really, really even. Um, I've got to say the South Australians are pretty happy to see the back of uh, Sean Marsh, yeah. 63. Uh, he's got three tons there in his last few visits. So, um, yeah, a good, a, lovely to see the back of him. Uh, he was looking really good before he uh, sort of rushed a pull shot against um, Wes Agar, the Brabham Young Cricketer of the Year. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, four for 149, very, very evenly placed um, after SA Mateson. It's a big inroads, and of course, it was Chatty Sayers um, with the, with his second half century that really pushed that that first innings total up to 389 in a, in a 74-run stand uh, with Daniel Worrell. Uh, so that's the reason why uh, I guess South Australia just got their noses slightly ahead at the moment. Richard, great to be chatting with you, Bryce McGain here, and of course, it's it's been a bit of a mainstay of South Australian cricket over the, certainly the past decade. In Tom Cooper, 99, it must yeah. have been a heartbreaking scenario being bowled by Parrish there. But uh, it, as you mentioned, it was the tail wagging. But uh, Tom Cooper probably deserved a hundred. Yeah, look, he did. Um, look, he, he rode his luck for the innings. Um, batting wasn't that easy. It was, it was the, the pitch was playing a bit slow. Obviously, the Duke's ball he caught an absolute jaffer. Um, you know, from, from Joe Harris, uh, just coming back into his off stump. But um, he's in batting so well this year. He's the leading, you know, Sheffield Shield run scorer. Uh, still has a four-run lead over uh, Sean Marsh uh, after Marsh is dismissed today. So um, he's uh, he's in vintage form, looking looking for a career best season. He, he certainly is, and good to see Chad Sayers not only with the bat but with the ball as well. He's got a couple of wickets, and uh, it, it's probably it, would it be fair to say that South Australia rely on him to to get those breakthroughs? Yeah, they do. I mean, Chaddy's, you know, had his knee issues mm. um, in recent years. He's at Tourist of Africa. So when he's actually fit um, and firing, he's still, you know, clearly among the best bowlers in the country and, he, and he's troubled everyone 
Um, he travelled, you know, he, he came bankrupt, shot at arms to him. He just couldn't work out which way he was swinging it and knocked him over pretty easily. So um, still bowling beautifully. Still with 24 wickets this season. Um, with Agar's got 25. So, you know, 50 wickets between them. So uh, when you start getting those kind of bowling partnerships together, that's, that's when a, a team can go really well. So it's just been a matter of getting the, all, the, all the guys on the park this year because, you know, guys like Daniel Wall have been injured most of the season um, before the big bash. So it's good to see all the boys back on the park. Yeah, look, it also looks to be pretty slow going there. Um, WA have had to grind pretty hard for these runs. Yeah. Not easy at all, um, batting out here. Uh, yeah, just uh, it's it, the ball's hugging up a bit, so the, the stroke play can be can be a bit hard, and obviously the Duke's balls make it harder. But the, the, the South Australians have bowled really, really well. They've held their line the, the whole time, um, just making batting really hard. And you saw, I think only um, 50 runs got scored in the previous session, and that was with Sean Marsh Bancroft out there. So batting is definitely not easy. And just looking at how, how challenging it was, Cameron Bancroft, what did you make of his innings? He, he scored 25 off 155 <laughs> balls yeah. just with the one boundary. It's a strike rate of 16. It's uh, it's Bryce McGain-like, I can tell you that. <laughs> Not that it, that's my season tally of 155 balls, but um, <laughs> he, he, he has really struggled um, in recent times, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a really uh, interesting point. It, it, his technique doesn't seem to be getting better at the moment. He just doesn't quite seem to always know perhaps where his off stump is. And when you leave a ball, you know, when you set and, and get bowled, it's not, not a great look. And even though Chatty was bowling exceptionally well to him. So he's probably one that maybe takes a, a leaf out of Manus Labuschagne's uh, textbook and goes away maybe in, in a county season and figures out his technique like Manus did and comes back maybe a different player because... Manus has shown you can do that. But, uh, yeah, he, he just it seems like a bloke who's scratching around really, really low on confidence um, against a red ball at the moment. And Richard, let's say at the end of the first innings for WA, it's relatively even. How do you anticipate the fate of the match going if, when the wicket changes and who out of the two attacks would be able to adjust to those conditions and those changes? Well, you know, they've, they've both, both sides have come here with really good attacks and they've got, you know, Paris, Kelly, Moody, some really good bowlers out, uh, you know, South Australia's got um, Agar, you know, all, all these kind of guys who can who can really strike through. I think um, both teams will push this game ahead pretty quickly because you've got Queensland destroying Tasmania up in mm. at the Gabba. So you, you've got, they've got to get a result here if they want to get that second spot. So I reckon the game will move ahead regardless of necessarily what happens. Both 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 sides will go for a result. Well, Richard, really appreciate your time on this late afternoon in Adelaide. All the best with the coverage there, and enjoy watching the cricket. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Good on you, Richard Earl, the chief cricket writer for the Adelaide Advertiser. I think it's still relatively even keel at this point, particularly with Cam Green at the crease. He has a lot to prove, and he has proven a lot this season. Yeah, he has indeed. And uh, certainly from the very pointy end, the, the Australian selectors do like the look of him. There's no doubt about that. Mm. And so they, they would like every opportunity for him to be performing because uh, he, he would be very close to their selection for Australia A and any other opportunities coming up. There are a couple of other Shield yep. games going on. Uh, Victoria are playing at the SCG with a 17-year-old debutant, yeah. Will Parker, leg spinner from the Monash, uh, uh, well, Richmond, the former Richmond Career Club, for those that, that are um, playing at home. But... Uh, he has taken his first shield wicket. Uh, he's taken, in actual fact, he's taken a couple of wickets now. As as we talk live, he's got two for twenty nine off eleven overs. Wow. So he's doing exceptionally well as a seventeen year old leggy.
Quite remarkable. Do you remember your debut, Bryce, and your figures there for Victoria? I do. I was up at uh, the SCG as well. I think that's, oh, where, that's where most of the uh, the Victorian spinners start yeah. off. They they get their opportunity there at the SCG, and uh, I do remember my my first wicket there. And uh, it was an LBW where I just landed it on someone's foot as it drifted in, and uh, was was really happy to be uh, get my first uh, first wicket. And um, yeah, I probably looked a bit like uh, I was. 29 at the time, but mm. I, I think I felt and looked at it, and many of my friends say you looked about 16. So uh, <laughs> I was a, a skinny, skinny little kid uh, at 29. So, um, but uh, credit to Will Parker at 17, doing exceptionally well. Victoria declared their first innings uh, close, seven for four, 31 debut century to Seb yes. Gotch. Uh, well, not debut century, his first century. Um, to, to Seb Gotch and New South Wales currently four for 201. So, again, probably evenly poised, maybe a little advantageous to Victoria. That's a great effort from Seb Gotch, too, at number six. As you said, he's made in test knock in terms of scoring a century at yeah, first, first class, class level. Yeah, yeah. So a fantastic effort there from Seb Gotch. Just give us an insight as to his capabilities. I know a lot of people would be familiar with his name amongst big bash circles with the Melbourne Stars, of course, and... How significant would this be for his confidence batting-wise? Yeah, wicketkeeper batsman. And uh, look, he, he, I guess it took him a lot of balls to, to score this. He, he, it took 241 balls to get that 100. And generally, he's been known, particularly through Premier Cricket, as a bit of a dasher, like he really attacks hard. But I think now he's really tightened his game up to give valuable runs. There's a lot of responsibility um, batting uh, in the sixth spot and it allows... Uh, Victoria to play Will Sutherland, another developing all-rounder yep. at seven, and then also allowing Will Parker to come into the side. So with Seb batting at six, he took on that responsibility. Generally, he's batted a bit lower at seven, but he's taken that responsibility and, and uh, done exceptionally well. So credit to him. Uh, but uh, look, Victoria's season has been very underwhelming out of six mm. shield games. They haven't got a outright result yet, so they're 0-6. Uh, at the moment, which is which has probably then allowed them some flexibility to to give the young leg spinner a bit of a go. That's right. It's an odd situation, isn't it, for Victoria? Given they were the champions of the Sheffield Shield last season, it's quite a stark contrast in results. Speaking of contrast, for the wrong end of the stick, Tasmania. They've pulled in a bit of a shocker so far against Queensland. In their first innings, Tasmania bowled out for just 78. Queensland responded with 257. Tasmania 3 for 45, trailing by 134 runs at the Gabba. It's not looking good for the Tasmanians. Not at all. And uh, there's plenty of moisture around up there. Uh, A game with the Australian women's, a a game at the Allen Border Field was uh, abandoned uh, against the West Indies. Uh, just uh, just today, and uh, yeah. so look, it, it's um, there's a lot of moisture around up there, and obviously the the Tasmanian Tigers players have have found the worst of that, and they've been bowled out for seventy eight. And what Queensland do so well, they they then just get on with it. Like mm. they they will, if you bowl anything wide, they will really go and attack it. They'll they'll try and score as many runs as they possibly can in, in and as quickly as they can uh, to then get you back in there, and uh, obviously. Well, the Tigers in all sorts of bother at three for 45 in their second innings, still trailing by 134. And before we head to a break, Michael Nessa, four for 18 in the first innings. His bowling figures off 12 overs, including six maidens, underpinned by an economy rate of 1.50. 
his performance was probably the standout in terms of that attack. Absolutely, and currently two for ten in the second innings as oh. well. So he's bowling beautifully, and he's been around that Australian squad. He was uh, he, as part of the both test lineups against uh, the Pakistanis and also uh, against New Zealand. He was part of that bowling squad. He didn't get an opportunity, but he's been right there on the cusp of Australian selection and. He's proving why now because uh, he can get the ball to swing, he can bowl quick, and he's got a really fast bumper. Um, many of the players have certainly uh, acknowledged that. So he's right up there and, and performing exceptionally well. Good to chat Sheffield Shield with you, Bryce. We'll take a break. On the other side here on Stumps, Molly Strano to join us. I want to see you mic'd up. I've heard a rumour that you won't get mic'd up because you don't trust what you'll say. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous to be mic'd up. I know Jane Z gives me a bit of grief about it, but um, <laughs> yeah, growing up in the outer western suburbs, I'm just never sure what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Molly Strano there, one of the great characters providing the line of the night, I think, Bryce, at the Cricket Australia Awards earlier this week. That's up there with Dippers. I only came for the free feed at the Brownlow, I reckon. That's exactly right, <laughs> yeah. She she is Miss Personality around the uh, the Victorian and the Renegades teams. That's right. Well, welcome back to Stumps, incidentally, your dedicated weekly cricket show. Bryce McGain and Damian Watson with you. Molly Strano had a sensational 12 months on the field, underpinned by her contribution with the Melbourne Renegades in the WBBL as the competition's leading wicket-taker. And in the wake of taking out the Women's Domestic Player of the Year Award, I'm pleased to say that Molly joins us on the line. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, to use a Melbourne Western Suburbs phrase from where you're from, is the trophy you won on Monday night going straight to the pool room? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that, actually, because my dad has a little man cave down in Werribee, so right. the trophy's gone straight down the high the Princess Highway, and it's going to um, live there for the rest of its um, natural life. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Molly, fantastic. Uh, and great credit to you. Uh, you are the leading wicket-taker in the uh, the WBBL um, and, and also uh, that's all time, but uh, we're the leading wicket-taker this year as well. What do you put that success down to? Um, obviously, you bowl at the difficult times too in the power play early on often and, uh, and often closing out as well. Um, what do you put your success down to? Um, that's a really good question. It's my fifth year in the in the Big Bash, and I think you slowly just start to learn learn your game and learn your craft a little bit. Um, as a, a spinner, that doesn't turn it a huge amount. Um, I've had to learn to be a little bit crafty with my pace, and, and I do a lot of um, review and revision into the opposition that I'm going to come up against and trying to work out ways I can, I can take them down in that regard. Well, it's certainly working for you. Uh, so how do you how do you go about doing that? Do you just watch other games and then picture yourself bowling to that particular player or do you do work that through with the coaches um, and, and the support staff? Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with the coaches and sort of the, the, girl, the other girls in the leadership group. Um, you sort of come up a lot of the girl against a lot of the girls a few times over your career so you sort of know their strengths and weaknesses and we're lucky enough to have access to it, uh, this database as a player where we can watch... Um, other girls' games retrospectively and watch some of their footage. So we're pretty lucky in, in that regard to be able to um, watch um, their past performances. What do you enjoy playing more? Is it the, the one-dayers or the T20? Oh, I actually really like 50-over cricket. Um, you can bowl a lengthy spell and, and settle into a spell where in, ten, in T20 cricket it's um, a bit heartbreaking when the batter's just trying to launch you for six every ball, so it can be heartbreaking <laughs> at times. So, yeah, I like 50 over cricket probably is my preference, I'll say. 
We're speaking with Molly Strano here on Stumps. When I commentated some of your games in the WBBL this season, I noticed you have a very close relationship with Sophie Molyneux and you mentioned her in your speech on Monday night. Tell us about how that friendship evolved and obviously have you taken her under your wing given she is six years your junior and is experiencing a roller coaster ride over the last 12 months in particular. How did that friendship sort of evolve? Yeah, Sophie and I, uh, um, I think there's only three inaugural players left from um, the first edition of the Big Bash. I mean, we were with the Renegades in 01, um, mm. and she was in year 12 at that time, and I was a bit more of a senior player at that point. So, you know, I sort of did take her under my wing a little bit, and now we're really close mates, and I just love watching her play for Australia, and she's doing some really good things with both bat and ball, not only for Australia, but for Victoria and the Renegades as well. So I've loved watching her development from a really close point of view, um, playing alongside her in most of those teams. And, yeah, as I said, I've loved seeing her evolution and her, you know, bursting onto the world stage. And I can't wait to watch her in the World Cup upcoming as well. Molly, what's as as a leading player in the the, the women's big bash, you, you must be uh, challenging yourself and, and, and setting some further goals. What, what lies ahead for you? Um, well, for now on in, um, for the rest of this season in the short term, um, it's just out back to club cricket for me. Um, in a girl can dream and I've only played a handful of games for Australia but I'd love to get back there at some point um, so yeah I'll just keep chipping away at my game and, and trying to keep evolving my game and especially in regards to probably my batting my batting and my fielding I just try to you know take that to the next level as well to be able to present a good case for potential na- national honours if that opportunity was to, to ever arise do you feel a little bit hard done by, given your record in that particular format over the last 12 months? I know that puts you in an awkward spot, obviously, but is there a little part of you that's like, gee, I wish I was a walk-up start based on that record? Oh, no, nah, not at all. Like, I look at that squad of 15, and there's some phenomenal athletes in that team and, and some incredible spinners as well. They've already got um, five spinners at their disposal in that squad. So mm. I definitely didn't feel hard done by, um, and I just can't wait to watch it, to be honest. It's going to be such a such a spectacle and I can't wait to get down to the games at the junction and, and hopefully the World Cup final which will, fingers crossed, feature the Australian women's team. Well, let's hope so. It's going to be an exciting time and as you mentioned, the, the, playing at the Junction Oval uh, where the, I guess the spectators are so close, do you enjoy playing there? Is that your favourite venue to be playing cricket at? Oh yeah, I love the Junction. Um, especially now we have a nice um, connection with that ground considering we're based there for Victoria and we train there all winter and we have our own little locker and it's just a really comfortable place for as a player spending so much time at that ground not only on, on the field but in the inner sanctum as well in the change rooms, in the gym and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I really love playing at the Junction. Now Molly, I did uh, do a, a little bit of stalking just to check on Twitter and uh, I have noticed you've changed your profile picture to that glamorous one from the AB medal. So well done in doing that. But it does say there you're convinced that I was born in the wrong era. Mm. Now, what era do you think you should have been born in? <laughs> I think I would have thoroughly enjoyed myself playing cricket in the 80s, early 90s. Um, mm. I'm very blessed to play cricket nowadays where it's you know quite professional and um, we're looked after very well and we have the luxury of playing WBBL and whatnot. But Of course. Gee, I love a beer after the game, and I think that's sort of, <laughs> <laughs> I think those days are almost over, so which is a bit unfortunate for me. But um, yeah, there's obviously other pros to playing in the current era. But yeah, I think I would have thoroughly enjoyed myself off the field um, probably a decade or two ago. One thing I heard around the traps too, Molly, and just on that point on your Twitter profile as well, uh, in the middle of a double header in the WBBL, 
didn't she go out dancing one night at a party and then subsequently the following day took three wickets and was named player of the match? That must be a good preparation for you. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a Saturday-Sunday match and I had a yeah. wedding on the on the Saturday night. So um, that proved to be a bit challenging to be able to keep a lid on it and make sure I didn't get home too late. But um, I didn't avoid the dance floor, that's for sure. So had a little dance, got home before midnight, um, rolled out to the junction the next day and we had a win against the Hurricane. So I thought that was um, ideal, a preparation. Perfect preparation for you, Molly. And uh, I guess that's one of the things that you've always got a smile on your face. And regardless in the WBBL and sometimes, you know, uh, as spinners, we we do get hit over the the boundaries. But you you always seem to have a smile on your face and a a real energiser around the group. Is that something you really pride yourself on and making others have a great day uh, whenever you're in the team? Um, Well, yeah, I just really love my cricket and... I think something that really resonated with me and something early on in my career, I used to get really down on myself if I had a, a bit of a, a tough day at the office and, and someone said to me that playing first-class cricket and at this time of our careers, it should be the best time of your life. So mm. um, I just try to make every every post a winner. Like some days, you know, team performances and individual performances aren't going to go your way, but geez, it's, it's, a good, it's good fun and, and I love playing for the, the Renegades and I love playing for Victoria, so I just try to enjoy it as much as I can. We're speaking with Molly Strano here on Stumps. Just a few more before we let you go. We appreciate your time, Molly. The Australian squad coming into the World T20 Cup on home soil. I know you have a good relationship with many of the players. How is the feeling from what you know amongst the group, given the pressure that's obviously on? Are they handling the warm-up well? I know they had an abandoned match against the West Indies, but in terms of the lead-up and the pressure involved, how's the lead-up going in that sense? They had a really tough tri-series where it was evenly balanced and they, at different times, England and India both tested the Australian team, which I think um, within the inner sanctum, they'll be happy that they had some hard-fought wins and and maybe even a few losses um, in that series just to work out what the right formula is going into the World Cup. But I think they'll be ready to go come come Friday in their first match against India and I think they'll be a really dominant force and really hard to beat um, during that World Cup. Do you dare to dream about how big that uh, mm. that final may very well be with Australia in it? You mentioned it at the, the, the top of the interview on the 8th of March at the MCG. It could be something incredible. Yeah, as a, as a cricket lover and as like a passionate female sports fan and advocate, I just can't wait for the, the final and I'll be there definitely to, to cheer on the girls and, and watch Katy Perry at halftime as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so it'll be a really exciting day and it, and it gives me goosebumps even talking about it uh, so hopefully we can get 90,000 plus at the G and I'm sure um, Victoria, the Victorians and, and the Melbourne people in general will really get around it and rally around the girls when it comes Oh there's no doubt about that How did you enjoy the, the AB medal? Um, mm. Obviously winning the award was a, was a highlight and uh, we've probably covered that but how did you enjoy attending and uh, getting all frocked up for the evening? <laughs> Um, winning the award was probably ex- was really stressful and added another layer to my AB night, which I'm not used to. Uh, yeah, and especially being the eighth award presented, I had to sit on my sit on my hands a little bit, and I just kept getting more and more nervous. So it was <laughs> quite a nerve wracking night, to be honest. Um, but I love I love getting dressed up and and um, those sort of nights. I, I took my brother along with me this year, and he had a he thoroughly enjoyed himself too. And, and <laughs> between him and I, I think we won. We're both best on on the dance floor at the after party. So that was. Um, <laughs> Good night for the Stranos all round. <laughs> you mentioned your family there, Molly. How much of an impact have they had on your career? Because I believe cricket wasn't necessarily a big part of your family growing up. You played a number of sports throughout your childhood. How much of a support have they been? 
Oh, they've been incredible. Um, not only my parents, but my nan as well. She's had a massive impact on my career, driving me around, taking me to trainings. Mm. Um, and as I said, especially going up out in the outer western suburbs, out in the burbs, um, they've done. My parents and my nan have done a lot of kilometres to drive me to trainings, games, and they've just been such a wonderful support. So I definitely wouldn't be in the in the position that I am today if it wasn't for them. Well, Molly, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, and congratulations on your award as well, winning the Women's Domestic Player of the Year. All the best for the future in the coming weeks, and thanks again for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Go well, Molly. Molly Strano, one of the stars, the great characters of women's cricket in this country. Uh, always a pleasure, isn't it, Bryce? Always puts a smile on your face. Yeah, she's a, a terrific player and uh, a, a great personality in the game. And uh, she's much loved by her teammates and even the opposition love having a, a laugh and a joke. She's just an infectious uh, personality. So congratulations to her on the award and uh, and also what lies ahead and, and probably more uh, accolades. Uh, she plays with a very strong uh, Premier Cricket team as well. So yes, the Maribyrnong Park. They're yes. very, very hard to beat. So uh, there may very well be some uh, more accolades uh, towards the end of the season. Just before we head to a break, Bryce, did you ever dance as part of your warm-up routine the night before a game? I could imagine you doing that. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't imagine myself oh, doing that, no. Um, and I'm not saying my preparation was always meticulous either, <laughs> but um, uh, and you've, you've, as a young player, you've got to, got to test your boundaries, I suppose. But uh, no, definitely never on the dance floor. Uh, yeah, no, my shuffle is uh, certainly not a highlight. Um, and I, having seen Molly on the dance floor, well, she is a a uh, uh, great exponent uh, and, and a good entertainer as well, but uh, definitely not me. We'll take a break. More to come on the other side. This is Stumps, your weekly dedicated cricket show with Bryce McGain and Damian Watson. Welcome back. You're listening to Stumps, your weekly dedicated cricket show. Bryce McGain and Damian Watson with you. No dancing for this last segment. No, not at all. (laughs) There's a lot of dancing when it comes to England after they defeated South Africa in a thriller by two runs recently in their T20, which was earlier on today, Australia time. England 7 for 204 off their 20 overs. It seems to be getting... Higher and higher, these significant totals and the frequency of them in T20 cricket used to be an anomaly for a team to score 200 in the T20 game. Now it's becoming all the more regular. And South Africa in response, 7 for 202, underpinned by a magnificent innings. And a player the Australians have to watch out for, Quinton de Kock, 65 off 22 deliveries. Yeah, opening the bat, batting, uh, batting higher up in the order of T20. He's an aggressive player and... Uh, it was an incredible run chase. It looked like they were going to cruise their way through, but uh, it was uh, Tom Curran who just held it all together mm. in the end and uh, and really saved the game. Moen Ali, also an interesting one, uh, batting down the order. He opened the bowling as well, but 39 off 11 balls uh, to really push that total over 200, so quite amazing. Usual suspects, of course, in the English lineup there. Jason Roy got 40, Johnny Bairstow 35 off 17, and Owen Morgan got a few. Ben Stokes, 47 off 30, and he's a headache to South Africa, Australia, everyone. I think he's a terrific cricketer. Um, but uh, the yeah, England just getting across the line there. So uh, that evens up the series and they have one more to play. Yes, and just in relation to other shorter formats of the game, I forgot to ask you about the bushfire bash, the bushfire relief game last week. You've been involved in a lot of charitable games, uh, the National Jockeys Trust, which is That's a fantastic right. success. Yeah. What did you make of the legends making a comeback? Brian Lara, for me, was the highlight, 30 off 11. Gee, it was fantastic. Didn't he strike the ball beautifully? Uh, you could tell just right away that free flow of the bat and the timing that he has. He was exceptional. Uh, great entertainment as well. Uh, 
just seen the uh, the past greats out there, and yep. it, it really was the who's who. Uh, Session Tendulka got to face uh, a, a part over from uh, Elise Perry, and then uh, also Annabelle Sutherland uh, bowled a couple of deliveries as well to close out the over. Yep. So it just just amazing to do that, which is quite incredible because uh, Session Tendulka's eyesight is uh, absolutely dreadful. Um, really? So yeah, he really battles with his eyes. So that was one of the issues, and he also has a shoulder injury as well. So under a doctor doctor's advice, uh, they were suggesting that uh, maybe he shouldn't be doing it, but he didn't want to let anyone down and really wanted to boost things up there. So you're right, Brian Lara was an absolute standout oh, on yeah. the on the day, and uh, well done to everyone. They raised millions, seven point seven, or yeah, that's 7, right, million seven hundred thousand. Absolutely fantastic. What a great initiative. And that's even minus Shane Warne with the uh, the late adjustment of moving the game from Sydney down to the Junction Oval. But it was a pleasure to be there and watch it all. And uh, it, well done to everyone involved. You know, people coming from around the globe to be involved. Courtney Walsh was fantastic. Yes. Opening the bowling. It was yes. good to see. He didn't register a duck, did he? He still holds that record. No. <laughs> he, yeah, a lot of ducks. The the world record ducks in Test cricket. Uh, you're talking about. No, he didn't get a bat, but uh, he did bowl beautifully and got out. Justin Langer just clipped the top of off stump, so he's uh, hasn't lost any touch there. Maybe just a few k slower, but uh, yeah. hasn't lost any touch of hitting good lengths. I also wanted to touch on Bryce before we go. Ricky Ponting made a claim. I think it was at a charity night uh, during the week that he would have retired three or four years earlier than he did as an Australian skipper. Ultimately, he did pass the mantle on to Michael Clarke, but even being part of the Australian side. But he was worried about the lack of leadership in the Australian team. You were around the setup at the time because he retired in 2012 and he'd be alluding then to that 2008-09 period. Was the Australian team devoid of leaders in your experience? Well, I... I Look, one of the things, I'm glad he didn't retire early. That's the first thing yeah. on that. I'm glad we got to experience Ricky Ponting for as long as we possibly could. He retired at 37 and uh, he was fantastic right to the end. And everything was for the team by Ricky Ponting. He was feeling a short leg in actual fact. He wasn't captain, handed over the captaincy to Michael Clark and then yeah. put himself at short leg under the helmet. The oldest player in the team is in there. So uh, he didn't have to do that, but everything was for the Australian team. It probably just goes to show what it meant to him. And I suppose there probably was a, a little bit of a void with the with the leadership, and uh, he probably saw some instances, you know, of Michael Clark and Simon Cadditch and different things mm. like that that happened, and they're well publicised going back some time. But uh, I'm so glad that he did hang around. Uh, he was a good leader and a terrific player for Australia. Indeed. And before we go, Bryce, Australia v India opening the T20 World Series for the Australian women's side, do you think they can prevail over the Indians in that opening game on Friday? I think they can. There's going to be some challenges. Uh, they they did beat India in the final of the Tri-Series yep. on Wednesday uh, at the Junction Oval, so I think that holds them in good stead, and I, I think they're well tuned up uh, to perform well this World Cup. Hopefully they get through to that final on the 8th of March, but oh. uh, we'll follow it all the way through. And uh... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We'll be back again next week with Stumps. Indeed. Great to be with you, Bryce. Molly Strano, a highlight of this show. Absolutely. She's a jet. Fantastic. Damien Watson, a Bryce per game with you on Stumps. Tune in next week. Same time, we'll be back. Jordan Canellis, indeed, will join Bryce McGain. All the best. 
G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.